0: Take your Bibles, if you would, with me tonight, and turn to Matthew chapter 15. Our theme again is Mass tonight, and it goes without saying that masks are definitely in right now. um, Basically because they're definitely required right now. Um, At first, um, it was very hard to get some masks, and, and it still is somewhat hard to get them, depending on where you are. But now people are starting to make and sell Custom masks. I, I, I showed you one tonight, and Chris's aunt makes those designer masks, so to speak. And strangely enough, things that would never have been normal in our society, except maybe when you're in a hospital, have become not only normal and commonplace, but people are using them to make a fashion statement, believe it or not. That's only probably in, true in our country, America, and um, crazy as it is. But we know all ma- that masks into themselves are not anything new in particular, and we even brought that to uh, your attention through the question in the uh, participation Google forum tonight about wearing masks and superheroes. I mean, I, Batman does it, Robin, Superman Sp- Superman does it, Spider-Man, Flash, Black Panther, Iron Man, Captain America, Green Lantern. I mean, there's a bunch of them. I mean, there was almost endless. And they all, in fact, maybe that's the thing of the past because they, they were all, you know, those things were all made up and written when I was younger, more or less, or before so maybe that was in, but it still is, I guess. But, you know, here's a simple question. Why do superheroes wear masks? Well, the answer is, obviously, to conceal their identity. Because what is true just about of every superhero, they have a secret identity. Now, it is a joke, isn't it? Come on. if anyone else believe this with me? I mean, was it a joke that Clark Kent wore a pair of glasses and that was it? I mean, and everybody, oh, you're Superman? I mean, come on, that was ridiculous if I say myself, but but superheroes have a secret identity. They, they truthfully live a double life. I mean, they have this public thing where they somehow you can't tell that on the personal level, that they're the superhero that they really are, and they don't want you to know that. They want to keep it secret. So they wear masks, masks protect their true identity, the person they really are that they don't want anyone else to find out about. That's why they wear them. So let me go and and, and put the question a little bit differently now. Why do people in general wear masks? And I don't mean a medical mask or a superhero mask. I'm, I'm now talking a little bit more metaphorical. Why do people in life wear masks? Why do even some believers, some Christians wear masks. Let me be a little more pointed. Why is it that you wear masks? Um, they're invisible ones, aren't they? They're not ones that you can readily see on anyone's face. And when you come to church or you go into the grocery store or you're at the office, it's not that you look around, oh, wow, everyone's got a mask on. Well, not literally, of course. But metaphorically, we do. And they're not masks that cover our face um, to otherwise protect us from germs, but they're really masks that we wear to cover our lives. And more, maybe more pointedly or specifically, the problems that we have or the limitations or failures or sins or things that we feel are insufficient in our lives that we really wouldn't want anyone else to know about and so we wear masks and believe it or not these ones although invisible and metaphorical also are custom made they are designer masks and we have masks pretty much designed for any problem or any difficulty or any issue that we face in life that we don't want anyone else to know because even In society at large or amongst God's people, um, we have secret identities. Perhaps not our whole life, but either compartments or rooms or closets of our lives that we really don't want anyone trespassing into. We we don't want to give access to those places in our lives, so we cover them up and we wear masks. And maybe you have a few of these metaphorical masks. Maybe you are... Even wearing them or have worn one of them today or this week, and I wrote down just a few and they're, and they're certainly certainly by no stretch exhaustive, but i I know people and have known people that wore what I call the moral mask, um, and it protects them from people knowing about some of the unholy things that they are involved in uh, relationally with a girlfriend or a boyfriend or someone they might live with. Um, they wear the moral mask because they don't want anybody to know of the movies, the kinds of things they watch, um, the things in the internet sites that they visit. And so they wear this mask. They, they, they want to be a person who's known for their values and their character and the things that they do. It's right before God, but At times, they put on this moral mask because behind the scenes where no one really is looking, they're quite different. And they wear this mask because this is part of their secret identity. The real person that they are that they don't want anyone else to know about. Uh, Another one I I wrote down was the marriage mask. Um, Spouses pretending to have really no issues in their marriage. And all you'd really have to do is probably spend a few hours or maybe a day or so with them. And you'd know that the reality of their relationship is quite different than what they portray to everybody else. And they sit together at church and uh, they think it looks like the, the, the ideal model family, but it's quite different at home. And unfortunately, I've had to counsel people that went so far in deceiving themselves and others by wearing the marriage mask that they waited too long, really, to almost salvage the marriage and to make it uh, possible for them to get back together. But people wear the marriage mask to the point where they don't get the help, and it ruins relationships and homes and the difficulties it brings on children. It it, it sometimes is catastrophic, and the marriage mask is a dangerous one. They all are this a dangerous one to wear. And then, believe it or not, There are people, even in the pulpits and in ministry or members of churches that are wearing on a regular basis what I call the ministry mask. And it's part of their identity because they're doing stuff. They're really involved at church and maybe even people who've been committed to the ministry are faithful for a long time, but they're really involved and they do a lot of work and it's their identity. And they wear the mask of always doing ministry and doing stuff because they want people to think well of them. And they really live for someone applauding them or you know, offering them kudos for how hard they work or the things that they do. And, and they really live for not and do so much for, not so much really for God in the end, but they live because their performance brings the acceptance of others. And that's really the goal that they're after, no matter what they might portray otherwise. And, and, and I could go down the list and we could talk, and I'm sure if there were people here tonight, we could name and mention a number of other masks that people wear But the Bible has a word for it. The Bible has a word for wearing masks, and it's called hypocrite. The word hypocrite is a Greek word used throughout the New Testament and the New Testament world. It was a word that described a person who on a stage was performing and playing a role who wore a mask. Um, They were pretending to be someone or something that they really were not. And it ended up being extended figuratively, and it came to mean a, a person pretending to be someone or something they were not in, in real life, not just on a stage at some theater. And the crazy thing about it is Jesus uses this word hypocrite uh, and denounces people. He, and and I, I looked it up this week, and believe it or not, hypocrite is used, or hypocrites, plural, is used 17 times in the New Testament. And believe it or not, all 17 times of the, of the word hypocrite or hypocrites, all of them are used by Jesus. <laughs> all of them. Five times, uh, the word hypocrisy is used. Uh, three of those are used by Jesus and two by the Apostle Paul. So if you put the forms hypocrite, hypocrites, and hypocrisy together, 22 times in the New Testament, Jesus is is the one who uses them 20 out of 22 times. I think it's pretty fair to say, based on that, that Jesus hates hypocrisy. He does. He spoke often about it. He's the main person who speaks on it in the New Testament. But there's a catch. Every time Jesus calls someone a hypocrite, he is talking to the most religious people in Israel. Jesus does not call irreligious people hypocrites. He does not call sinful people. The Hebrew people had a term for that sinful crowd. It was called haram arets. It meant the people, you know, the sinners amongst the people, the low life kind of people, they would say, the real marginalized people, the really, really bad people that nobody wanted. Jesus never called those people in that category hypocrites. The ones everyone looked up to, Jesus was able to look through. And those people he called hypocrites are often named. And they are the scribes and the Pharisees. The ones that most people in the first century Jewish culture would have looked up to. People that they would have thought would be the outstanding models and standard of morality and virtue and commitment to God. These people are the ones that Jesus often denounces by using the word hypocrite. He says these people that you think are all that, they are not. Jesus would say they are wearing a mask. Let me show you how strong, can I say it? To put this in the proper framework about how serious Jesus thinks about wearing a mask. Turn over before we go back to Matthew 15 and read our text. Look at Matthew chapter 23. Beginning in verse 13, Jesus is going to completely renounce the scribes and Pharisees who he calls religious hypocrites. And he's going to do it with what the text says is are eight judgment oracles. If you have a New King James Version, it's translated woe. It's ooai in the Greek. In the ESV, they do it with kind of an exclamation thing. Ah, A-H. And they go, oh, like, like alas. like Almost like, oh, I can't believe this is, you know, that kind of thing. But it's really a term used in the Old Testament and Septuagint and otherwise that God is pronouncing judgment on them. It's used in verse 13, 14, 15, 16, 23, 25, 27, 29. Eight of them, one after the other. Not not one, not two. Eight of them in a row. I, I'm sure in Jesus's crowd filled with religious people that day that that went over like a lead balloon. I mean, you're calling the greatest quote-unquote spiritual people of the day, people who are worthy of God's condemnation and judgment. I mean, can I just add a little bit more to you because it's even more serious than that? I want you, as I read the text, Jesus comes to conclusions about their actions. Now, the kind of hypocrites they are, he gives examples all throughout the condemnation. And I wrote them down. Hypocrites are people who put the emphasis on the external but have nothing on the internal. That's one way you can be a hypocrite. You can be wearing a mask. One also is that you you have all this great stuff going on vertically, but it doesn't overflow into how you treat others horizontally. So Jesus says, you know, you're a hypocrite if you think you love God, but you really treat people awful. You're a hypocrite. Another one is, is if you're all about law, law, meaning Torah, and you're not about love, then you've missed the whole story. And Jesus says, you can keep all these commandments down to the jot and tittle and how you tithe mint and cumin and all these things. He says, but you forget about mercy and kindness. You see, you have, you major on the minors, Jesus says. And when that's true, you are a hypocrite. You're wearing a mask. And in our text, back in Matthew 15, we're gonna find out that you can worship God with your words, but not with your heart. Again, an external-internal contrast. But what's the conclusion that Jesus comes to? Are these just people who religiously need to get their act together and get a little bit of a revival and so that they can be right with God again? That's not what Jesus concludes by people who are hypocrites, who wear masks to this level. Here's what he says. They're not just hypocrites. Verse 28, he says, these are people who are, look at it, full of hypocrisy. This isn't just, not all of us, right? Pastor Walker included. All of us are not consistent. All of us have areas of our life where we have been hypocrites, where we did this or said this and did this, or we're not consistent, and things don't quite jive up. I mean, all of us struggle with and always will fight against levels of hypocrisy. But the Pharisees and the scribes, despite their outward appearance, Had a different story, a different problem. They were from top to bottom full of hypocrisy. It's what marked them. It's what characterized their relationships with God and people. And Jesus is going to be very clear in marking it out. So that everybody is aware of what it looks like, especially them. And so he goes on. Not only does he say that you're a hypocrite every single time he pronounces a woe on them but listen to what else he says about them. Verse 33, he says, you are serpents and brood of vipers. Not exactly mild language. Verse 33, he goes on to say this, you are so full of hypocrisy, he says, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? (laughs) Seriously? Wow, Jesus. I mean, wow, really? Yeah, he says, when you are as full of hypocrisy as they are, you know what's at stake? Your eternal life, he says. Because he goes, I don't know how you're ever going to get away from God sentencing sentencing you to eternal hell. And then all throughout it, three or four times, he calls them fools who are blind. And here's the thing. Here's the scariest thing. That hypocrisy at any level, but especially at this level, it is not just that you are deceiving others who are fooled by you wearing the mask. No, you deceive yourself. He says, fools who are blind. See? See, and that's the scary part. The scary part is it's possible, perhaps for people who even attend Faith Baptist Church, isn't it? That we can be so fooled and deceived by our own, Hypocrisy, so blind to it because it's been so much a part of our life for so long that we no longer see it and we don't even realize the danger that we're in. Let me give you a principle from what Jesus calls hypocrisy in chapter 23. I wrote down in my notes, hypocrisy is from hell, and if you're not careful, it will lead to hell. So I call it. Hell hypocrisy. I mean, because that's where it's from and that's where it's leading. How do you get there? How does that happen, Pastor Walker? Because I would think in hearing these words as I was reading, what I would think is that I don't want any part of that. I don't want to be fooled and so blind to my own hypocrisies that it ends up taking me completely away from God and to the lake of fire. I mean, who, nobody in their right mind would want that. Where does hell hypocrisy come from? How does it get into our lives? And that's why I want you to spend the rest of the time with me, if you would and turn back to Matthew 15, because I'm going to say this to you, hell hypocrisy comes from heart hypocrisy, and I want to prove that to you tonight. So let's read it together in Matthew 15, verses 1 through 9. Here are the hypocrites introduced in the first verse, same ones that were all over chapter 23. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. It must have been a planned group who were seeking out Jesus. Why, they ask, do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? That little phrase, tradition of the elders, refers to what is called the oral Torah. It was the version of the rabbis and the esteemed people in religious circles who studied the law for a living. And they wrote down all of their understanding and interpretations of Torah. And it was later actually written down. It was only orally preserved for many, many centuries uh, by people who just repeated what others said. But in 200 AD, about 130, 170 years after Jesus or so, It became the Mishnah, and the Mishnah recorded all those things. In fact, you can read them till today. In the Mishnah, it is a very large volume, and in it, there's something called a tractate. And in a tractate, one of them is called the Yadayim. And in the Yadayim, it's very long. I mean, it's uh, this thick, and it is filled with the only thing is all the details and things you have to know about washing your hands when you're going to eat. You'd laugh at that and think it's funny. It was anything but funny in first century Judaism. And they did this and many other things like it because they had a phrase called building a fence. And what the Jewish people did, because especially Pharisees and scribes who believed that the Messiah would never come until all the people of Israel kept Torah. And so they wanted to make sure that there weren't any guilty people out there somewhere, not keeping Torah, which would hinder Messiah from coming. So what they did was build fences. They built things around the law that would keep you from even getting close to breaking any of God's commandments. And that was called the tradition of the elders. Unfortunately, even though their motives might have been good, it turned into what I call a pedantic, burdensome set of rules. I mean, it was just heavy to carry. And Jesus even said, in contrast, take my yoke upon you and and learn of me because my burden is light. But you got a Pharisee's yoke. I mean, they had every detail down about every area of your life and it was passed down. And if you didn't keep all those things, somehow that meant that you never really had a right relationship with God. And Jesus argues, if you'll look in verses three and four, he argues that it's not his problem that is the issue about not washing his hands correctly when his, him and his disciples eat. The real problem is, is that they value man-made rules over God-made rules. And he says it so much in verse 3. He says in, in, in response to them, why do you? See, you, you ask me why I do this or we do this. Let me ask you. Why do you break the commandment? Now notice the difference. They were after him for breaking a tradition. He is saying, you know what's really sad? Not that I'm breaking some tradition you made up. You actually are breaking the very commandment and word of God. What he had broken was something a human made up. What they were breaking was what God himself made up. And he actually even says it. He says, for God commanded, verse 4. He doesn't just say that to say, hey, let me quote a couple places in Exodus 20 and 21. No, he's saying, you know what the problem is? You're so blind, you're more interested in some man-made rule that you have, some fence that you built, than what God actually himself has said in the Bible. That's what happens to hypocrites. That's what happens to people who wear a mask. And Jesus argues that you ought to be concerned far more than he should be because you're disobeying the fifth commandment. And if you know anything about Pharisees and scribes in the first century, you'll know that for them, the Ten Commandments were basically a summary of the entire Torah. And so when Jesus says, you are not obeying the fifth commandment, he's basically telling them, you don't really keep Torah. You're worried about me keeping tradition? You don't even keep Moses' law, of whom you say you're his disciple. That must have stung like crazy. And here's what Jesus says. You don't keep the fifth commandment. And what is that? Verse four, honor your father and your mother. The Greek word for honor, please keep it in mind because he's gonna talk to all of us about that concept in just a few verses. Honor is the word "tima" in the Greek and it means to put value or weight on it. It wasn't, to honor your parents was not just to hold your parents in high esteem. But it was to actually care for them, which included caring for them as they got older and couldn't care for themselves. You were to do it financially. You were to put money and invest in them and take care of them in every way that they needed to. And Jesus says, verse 4, whoever reviles, it means to speak evil or curse his mother or father, must surely die. He says these are direct commandments and he quotes from Exodus 20 and Exodus 21. Those are verbatim quotes from the Old Testament. He says, but see, those are so clear, not the traditions, but God's word is so clear. But that's not how you do. Look what he says. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God. You know what they were doing? These people who piously looked great on the outside and said, oh, how much we love God. And we have built these fences and we keep all these traditions. And aren't we holy Jesus says you don't even get the most basic things of what it means to know and love God. And he quotes the second half of the Decalogue, which says vertically, the first four, horizontally, the last six. He says, you know how I know you don't really worship God? Because you don't really even love your own parents. You can't even get it right in your own home, he says. And Mark 7 and verse 21 sheds a little light on this because... The word used there is korban, and korban means a gift or something that was dedicated. And what the scribes and Pharisees would do literally to get out of taking care of their own family financially is they would declare their money korban. In other words, when they died, all the excess money that they had gained would go to as a gift to God to beautify the temple. And so you couldn't touch it. So they, here's what they'd say. Hey, mom and dad, I'd really like to help you. But that money has been dedicated to God. Sorry, I can't help you. That can't be touched. It's for God. And it would never, ever make it there. That's how corrupt and deceit these people were. And Jesus says, and I know that he says, he need not, look at the text, Verse 6, he need not honor his father. Now, in the English, you can't see how strong it is. But need not is a double negative. Ume, it's about as strong as you can say something in a negative way. And Jesus says, and with that kind of mask you're wearing, you don't ever, ever, ever have to honor your parents. They were looking for ways to skirt God's word. Their heart wasn't in it. They were trying to go by the letter of the law and use some small print, so to speak, to get out of honoring their parents. And Jesus says, that's the problem with you, isn't it? You're so into your traditions that you have the feeling in your heart that you can completely nullify. The word is make void in the ESV. You can totally ignore the word of God to be able to keep your traditions. And Jesus says that's exactly what's wrong with you and why I'm going to say in verse 7 this, hypocrites, Hypocrites, you're people who wear a mask. And so Jesus says in verse seven of our text, "You hypocrites, you pretenders, you people who wear masks." Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, "Listen to the verses. This is Isaiah 29:13. "This people honors me with their lips." but their heart is far from me. When Jesus said, Isaiah prophesied of you, you know what he's saying? He's basically saying, Pharisees and scribes in the first century, you perfectly fit the pattern of the people in Isaiah's day. The people in Isaiah's day honored God well, publicly. When they went to the temple, they went through all the sacrifices, they went through everything that was required, they sang all the psalms and worshiping God. But in their heart of hearts, they really weren't serving God. They were doing all the right things, but they weren't thinking the right things. And they weren't doing the right things because they kept tradition instead of really genuinely from their heart being committed to God. And Jesus says that's exactly what hypocrites are like. Religious people who wear masks. They never take the time to really evaluate or properly look at whether their words And their heart go together. Don't turn there, but I want to read it for you. In Matthew chapter 12, just a few pages earlier, Jesus says this, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Same language he used, scathing language, in 23 on the oracle judgments. He says, You brood of vipers, How can you speak good when you actually are evil? How can, he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See how he connects it? Oh, they were saying, oh, I love my parents. Oh, I love God. But their actions denied it. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, listen to this. How serious it is? I tell you on the day of judgment, when you stand before God, people will give account for every careless word they say. All the things they used to say to people, like korban, to deceive people, and even themselves. They will give an account of it. For by your words, you'll be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Hypocrisy. The verbal without the visual is no small or trifling matter. And Jesus wants them, and he wants us to know about it. I don't know if you've ever talked to people over your years as being a Christian, as a pastor. I certainly have, and I've heard people come and go from Faith Baptist Church, and I've heard this complaint. I don't really want to ever go to that church or any other church again, because you know what? Churches are full of hypocrites full of hypocrites in other words i don't want to go to church because when i go there everybody's wearing a mask i would love it that when we actually come back to church that we wouldn't bring the mask back with us i don't know about you and i don't wear it hardly at all not compared to suja or some of the nurses were here sunday night wearing the mask all day long and everything else that goes with the, the out the get up and everything they have to wear i mean really I mean, I go in a store, I have to put one on for a few seconds, but I'm tired of wearing them, and I only do it a little bit. I'm tired of wearing those masks. You know, I wish to God that all of us, and and, and all of us included, we would be tired of wearing all kinds of masks, not just the medical ones, but the metaphorical ones. Pastor Walker, how do you take off the mask? Let me close with this. Can you see the parallel in the last two verses, which is a quotation from Isaiah 29? Notice, he says in verse 8, this people, see it underlined, it, honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now notice verse 9. It's a parallel statement. They honor me with their lips, in vain do they worship me. See, honor me, worship me. Get this. Honoring God is a way of worshiping God. We are truly worshiping God Not when we give him honor because we can't give him. He already has all the honor as God that he could ever have. He's already worthy. But when we respond to it and we recognize it, when we respond and recognize the infinite value and worth of God, we are honoring him for who he really is. And how do we do that? What does that look like? What is a worship of God, a true worship of God, that places the infinite worth and value on him that he deserves? What does it look like? Well, Jesus tells us. He says, it's not something that merely just comes out of your mouth, he says. Honoring God, literally verse 9, is in vain, which the word means worthless, empty, futile, not of any value. He says, let me tell you this. It has to be more than just the right words. We cannot believe for a second that just become, because we come to the services and just because I might raise my hand in a service, and just because I know all the songs by heart and I sing all the hymns and the songs and the worship songs we sing and I, I, stand, I, I read the scriptures and we pray. Let me tell you, here's what God says. That's not enough. It's not just the externals. It's not just what I say to God. We sing the song, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's not, I'm not, I, he says in the song, I'm not going to just bring you, I, in fact, I'm going to bring you more than just a song. Because the heart of worship is a worship from the heart. And Jesus says, see, you're no better than the scribes and Pharisees. You're really no better than a hypocrite or someone who wears a mask if you think that God is only interested and only cares about worship that comes on the outside with your mouth. See, not just an external honor with our lips, but God is looking for and seeking after people who will give him an internal honor that comes from their heart. He would like the things that comes out your lips to come from your heart. But the problem was, hypocrites don't do that. People who wear masks don't do that. They honored Christ or Jesus or God with their lips. But here's the issue, their heart is far from me he says you know what where hell hypocrisy comes from heart hypocrisy people who wear masks not over their face but over their heart. and jesus says their words seem like when you listen to them that they're very close to god but if you really saw inside you realize they're not close at all in fact here he says they're distant from god they're far far from me he says And the word far means removed. They're really not even close to me whatsoever, he says. See, I believe true worship involves not only truth about God that we might hear or say, but the feelings that result in them, the heart. Jonathan Edwards wrote a book. I know it's two and a half centuries old, but it is well worth your reading. Probably my favorite one that he ever wrote. Called religious affections. And in it, he says that we should strive in every worship service and every time we pick up the Word of God to let our feelings rise as high as the truth about God that we are hearing. See, God isn't interested in us pretending that He has value, He wants your heart to recognize it and to express the value that you believe He has. He doesn't want you just to say it. He wants you to feel it. He wants it not just to be external, but internal. He wants you to worship him, recognizing his value and honor him from your heart. But that's not the way it always happens, is it? And most of us would be honest because we know the difference between those two things. There are two guys who are retired after working for 35 years in a certain corporation. One of them I call the grumpy guy. He gets things. He gets the thirty-year watch. He gets the you know people say nice things about him, and people show up for it. They shake his hand, but no one really spends time to you know speak much to him. He gets the things, and people show up, but they stay just as little amount of time as they can, as socially correct, a few minutes, and then they're off because the truth is, they don't. He's not worth their honor. His whole career, he was difficult to work with, and all kind. He's the grumpy guy. But you know what? A week later. The, what I call the great guy, he retires. And the place is packed, and people are there, and they stay longer, and there are people stay there when the things are supposed to be over. And when he gets to watch, he gets applause. And people just don't attend that thing because they have to. They, they attend that thing because they want to. You see the difference? Two parties. One of them, you do it out of obligation. You show up, you give the gift. You're not too incredibly sacrificial in the things that you buy. You kind of do what's expected because you really don't honor or really have a lot of value in the person that's being celebrated. But the other person, not not just an obligation, it's an opportunity for you to express how you really feel. I mean, it's not just something you do on the I mean, on the inside, you can't wait. You're excited. You got something special. I mean, you really went out of your way to give a gift, and you had the card, and you made it, and you wrote it by hand. I mean, and you were there, and you, why? Because there's a big difference, isn't it, by the way that you view those two people. Imagine this, and this happened to me last year. When your parents die, when your parents die, you do not say to yourself, to what end shall I feel grief? You don't sit down and when your parents, you know, well, let me think about, what end should I feel? No, you cry, tears come down your face, and you're upset, and it lasts a long time. Why? Because it's not just some fact you're thinking about. There's feelings. Why? Because you loved your parents, and you were close to your parents, and they were meaningful to you, and and they had a lot of weight and value in your life. So the truth comes about them, and the feelings both come about with them. You're camping in the woods, you're out in the wilderness with Pastor Dave, and all of a sudden you see this big shadow, and there's a bear outside. You do not say to yourself, to what end should I feel fear? You don't say that, why? Because you see the bear, you have no weapons, you are going to feel it, right? You don't just contemplate it and think about it, no, there's emotions and feelings that go with it. I've been able to do this, not at the Grand Canyon, but I've stood at Niagara Falls, And you stand there and you look at the tons of water coming over and how long it's happened and how big it is. And you're out on the made of the mist in the boat. And you're looking up at this and you know, here's what you don't say on the boat. To what end should I feel awe about the admiration for such beauty? No, you feel it. You can't help yourself, Right? I mean, you're going like, can you believe that? And you're looking at all the statistics and people talking about it, and you're going like, wow, and you're out on that boat for a while, and it just seems like a few seconds because you can't get your eyes off of it. Because it moves you, not not just to say a few words, not just to show up in the boat. I mean, it really moves you about how amazing and awestruck you are by it. My daughter got married this past weekend. And when she's standing there with Sam and they're saying their vows, here's what she wasn't thinking. To what end should I feel happy or loved by someone else? No, she's feeling it. And I see the tears come down her eyes. And she's intense when she made up her own vows and read it to him. And when we say all the things about it, I can see her looking and they're staring at each other. And I don't have to tell them to hold hands because they're already doing it. You know why? Because that's what love does. They're not wearing some mask. They're not worried about what they're portraying. No, no there's a real, genuine, heartfelt love in it. See, that's what God's looking for. See, when you come to church, it's not just getting in the car without any preparation. It's not thinking about not thinking about God till you actually enter church. No, there's a heart in it. <laughs> there's a heart in it on Sunday because there's been a heart in it every day of the week coming up to church. There's not a mask, there's a heart, a heart that loves God and not just through words, but desires and love and affections for him. God's looking for it. He loves the things that come out of our mouth, as long as they are things that come from our heart. So let me ask you one more time. Are you wearing masks? Everybody is nowadays. But are you wearing a mask in your relationship with God? If so, let's take them off. <laughs> let's repent of them. Let's turn away from them and give God the worship an honor that his infinite value and worth really should be getting. Let's close in prayer. Father, help us. Help us to fight the temptation of hypocrisy that we feel. To be easy to cut corners, to do what best suits our own purposes. To make us look good and popular and be accepted to others to fit in. But Father, I pray that we would abandon those masks, that we would tear them up and throw them out, and in doing so, we would trade them in for a heart of worship that acknowledges your infinite value and worth, that we would really, truly give you the honor that you alone deserve. May that be the kind of heart that we have, the very heart that our Savior Jesus had, and may it be ours as well. And we'll thank you for that rich blessing for it's in his name and through his mighty blood we pray, amen.